93% of your life is spent indoors, but so many of our favorite moments are outdoors. The fresh air, the feeling of peace. Since warmer weather is almost here, let's make the most of it with Outer, the new outdoor furniture company with purposely designed furniture to get you outdoors more. Outer makes the world's most beautiful, comfortable, innovative, and high-quality outdoor furniture, all from sustainable materials. I love the new outdoor dining table and chairs I just bought. It looks great in my backyard, and it's the perfect setup for hosting a dinner party. Go to liveouter.com slash thefounderhour to see all the incredible products they have to offer. For a limited time, get 10% off and free shipping. That's liveouter.com slash thefounderhour. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, before we get into the episode, just a quick reminder, if you enjoy what you hear, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you get notified when new episodes drop. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, at The Founder Hour. Let's get into it. What's up, everybody? We're here with Jada De Laurentiis. That's not correct. No, that's I, good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> even better it, than what you was said. it better? Did I? Did I? Delorentis. Delorentis. Yeah. Did I make it like even more extreme than it had to be? A little bit. Okay, that's. I like that. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Everybody knows who you are, so they can, they can, they can practice your name. But you could say it for us so that they can get it correct. Jada Delorentis. Boom. Perfect. Well, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah. Thank you for having We're me. We're excited to talk all things Jada. Your your background, your early days, uh, all the way to being a chef and on TV, all the way to having your own company, Jodzi, and other other restaurants and everything you're up to now. So why don't we take it back? I know you're born in Rome, mm-hmm. and you have a family of entertainers, you have producers, actresses. Uh, what was life like for you growing up in Rome with your family, and, and just what do you remember? Well, I was it. I left Italy, Rome specifically, when I was seven. Hmm. So little tidbits here and there. Yes, my family. Um, I come from uh, like a movie making family. My grandfather was a movie producer. He made six hundred movies, over six hundred movies in sixty years. That's crazy. Yeah, a lot of movies. And my grandmother uh, was was Miss Rome mm-hmm. when they met, and then she starred in all his movies. So mm-hmm. they became sort of this powerhouse. That's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like the Coppolas too. Correct. Like, the Coppolas the did that. Yeah, I mean, movie. it's Sophia Loren did that with right. her husband. Like it was a thing in yeah, those yeah. days. It just and you know they do I mean, it it's today. Nice to just keep put an family. actor and a producer together, and they'll yeah. build you know yeah. build on that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so at a certain point. My grandfather wanted to move to the States because I think anybody who's an immigrant knows that you don't make it in this world until you make it in America. So he wanted to move. And so he took our entire family and I was seven and my siblings were younger and we all moved. We moved to New York first and then we moved to LA. And what year is this? 1977. Okay. And did he want to just be closer to Hollywood? He got a deal at Gulf Gulf and Western Mm. to make movies there. And then after that, after that deal expired, after two years, he moved to L.A. Uh, where, yeah, he got another deal and he started making movies there at Universal. Mm-hmm. And he was at Universal on the lot for a very long time. Yeah. Do you have any memories of watching the films that he made as a kid? Oh, yeah. In, this, in his screening rooms. Absolutely. I mean, that's – it's funny. When, as, when I was a kid, my birthday parties 
were always in my grandfather's screening room watching a movie that he made. <laughs> Whether I wanted Happy to birthday. do that. I know. I know. It was always no embarrassing. No candles for you. It was films. just like, ah. Uh. So yes, we watched a lot of movies. Yeah, yeah. We went to a lot of sets. I grew up on sets. And for a long time, I didn't think there was anything else. Mm. I mean, you know, it, I always tell people like growing up in L.A., or even in New York when I was really little, you grow up in a, in a bubble mm. and it wasn't like it is today where every there's social media. Right. So you can see what everybody's doing. Yeah. I grew up in a time there was no social media. Right. You could see what people were doing in a magazine, but like two months later, there was no immediacy. Like you didn't know what was happening around you unless you were in it. Right. So whatever was going on in our lives, that's what my mind was going on for everybody. Everybody you, lived like I lived. Yeah. Were you someone that was like curious though to see like what's happening and out there and like No. No, you just didn't absolutely were, not curious. Yeah. I was shy. Yeah. I was introverted. I came from a large Italian family where, you know, my grandfather and the men of the family dominated and women sort of followed along. Not in a bad way, but you know. Uh my grandparents, you know, my whole family, they traveled a lot. And so um, weekend Sunday meals were sort of our mm. thing together when they were in town. Um, but so I close, traveled. Super close family. like Very close-knit family. So close that I remember my parents always saying, you don't need friends. You have siblings. <laughs> you have all family. You have cousins. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this, these are your friends. Yeah. You don't need to have friends yeah. outside of that. That's how close-knit it was. Friends and by it, force. Correct. If you talk to a lot of... Um, uh, Latin families, mm -hmm. they're very much like that. Right. Jewish families day, are like, like that. that. Yeah. It, it, to this day, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, still today. So it, it's very different than the way my daughter is growing right. up. You know? but, but you can say that about a lot of immigrant families, I would say. Tons. Because I mean, that's early on, especially when they came or wherever they immigrated to, whether it was the US or other places, that's all they had, right? Or that's the first thing that attracted, or the community was the first thing that they sought. Yes, and also, if you want to preserve right your community and your culture and your heritage, you kind of have to do that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the more these kids go out in the world, they adopt all of the other culture. You know what I mean? Right. They lose their own. Yeah, it's about assimilation. It is. It's about assimilation, but for us, it was also about really holding on to who we were. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness, mm -hmm. because I, I don't think I would do what I right. would do today. Talk, talk to us about like what food, like what kind of place food held in, in the family and just in your life as a kid. Everything revolved around food. Mm -hmm. Everything revolved around every meal. Yeah. So when we have one meal, it was talking about the next meal and the meal after that and the meal after that. It was always about food. Mm. So to back up a second, since we already said we were going back and forth. Yeah, we'll jump around. Um, to jump around, we're going to go back in time. And my grandfather is one of um, 10 children. And his parents owned a pasta factory in Naples before World War II. Wow. Okay. okay. So his mother would make pasta and dry it on the rooftop of the building they lived in. Now, you have to remember, like, I know it sounds strange, but this was a way of life for many, many people in Naples. Like, yeah. Naples was the capital of pizza and pasta. And when I say pasta, I don't mean machines. I mean, they made them by yeah. hand and they stringed them. And the way that the... um you know, that the, the, the ocean air, the sea would dry the mm. pasta. It would create this great texture, this rough texture. Anyhow, he would go door to door with his siblings and they would sell 
their parents' pasta and later their sauces. Mm. So that he became a traveling salesman at the age of like seven or eight. Mm. He started selling. And that's one of the reasons Italians had, well, many cultures had so many children to yeah. help, you know, find, yeah. <laughs> so he only went to elementary school. Yeah. Never had any schooling past that. Anyhow, then World War II broke out. He joined the military based in Capri, learned all about the food in Capri on that island. And when he came back, you know, he decided he wanted to be a, um, an actor. He left his family with like 50 bucks, went to Rome and tried to be an actor, realized too short, not cute enough. And he realized, I'm a really good salesman. I'll get other people's ideas and I'll sell it. And that's what happened. And mm. got his wife, who was a model slash Miss, Miss Rome. Rome, to be the, you know, the lead actress. So he created this world for himself. But what really drew him and I think what grounded him was his family and their food. Mm. And so food was the essence of everything we did. And if you talk to people who've done movies with my grandfather, they will tell you they all remember eating his food. Mm. He did not entertain outside his house ever. You always came over for a meal. And he usually always made the same things. He started with pizza as an antipasti. He went on to a pasta. He went on to a meat dish, roasted potatoes, uh, broccolini, and then a table filled with different Neapolitan desserts. So like that was his way to woo you. Everything, everything was around that. And when he did movies, when he produced movies, he would cook a meal once a week for the entire crew. Mm. Well, now I got hungry. Why don't we just end the spot? So, I mean, like, get some that's, pizza? but that's what he, so yeah. yes, yeah. <laughs> it's all about food did, all the time. Did you find yourself like trying to help him out in the kitchen or help the family out or just like, oh, yeah, yeah. As a kid. Yeah. So, as a kid, my siblings and I, he would set up little um, stools in the kitchen. He would make pizza dough and then we would roll out our pizza and he'd give us a bunch of toppings and we would just top our own pizzas mm. and he'd cook them for us. And that was the beginning of, my love of food. So Pat and I talk about this all the time and we had mentioned Europe before the podcast started and how you know incredible it is. You know, when you came to the United States and you said New York was the first stop? Yes. Okay. Was there for you a visible difference in just the the ingredients that you would see when you were in, you know, Italy versus here or just the way the food was prepared in general? Was that something that now looking back you could say Huh, yeah, there was a visible difference there. Like it was it was kind of shit. Or was that not the case yet? We didn't really eat anything outside of what my parents imported. Yeah. My parents imported everything. Got it. Yeah. Every pasta, every cheese, every 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 tomato. There was no Italian food to be spoken of at the grocery store. Hmm. There was nothing. That's crazy. We're talking the early 70s. Mm-hmm. There was nothing. And as I grew up, there was a lot of TV dinners. Mm -hmm. That's what was popular when I was a kid. Right. But there were no Italian ingredients, especially not like today. We live in a totally different – people don't realize the U.S. has its leaps and bounds to what people can get now. Yeah. Even when I started on Food Network 23 years ago. Maybe not a good thing though. I mean – you know, I think yes trade no. opened up, right? Yeah. So, like, we got a lot of things we never could get before. Right. I mean, the world has opened up in right. a way we couldn't yeah. have like imagined. Right. Just distributors probably started. And well, globalization. I mean, yeah. good because you know so much more than you ever did. Right. You can taste a little piece of Italy without ever having to travel there. 
that's a wonderful that's thing for some like. people. That's what I don't like. You know, you go there and you're like, even though it's better there, you're like, I've seen this, right? From the shopping, the food to the images, like, I mean, the paintings, right? You're like, I've seen this before. So like- You've seen it, but you've never touched experienced it. Experienced it, right, right. It's different when you actually step yeah. foot in another country, whether yeah. it's Italy or any other country. I don't care what you've yeah, breathe seen. breathe that air. You breathe the air, the people- yeah. The energy that you get yeah. off of these pe- off of people and just to actually be able to touch mm. one of these um one of these ruins or just just to be in the space is totally right. different. Yeah. It's really it really is different. Yeah. What what's uh what was DDL Food Show? DDL Food Show was my grandfather's attempt on basically bringing real Italian food to this country. Because at the time, and this was in the 80s, at the time it was Italian-American food, Mm. which is not Italian food. It is Italian-American food, not better or worse, you know, brought on by immigrants and their families who had come a long time ago. But it's truly a a merging and a blending of of American food and Italian food. Right? So it's not traditional Italian. So he really wanted to bring a traditional Italian. So he opened up um, a gourmet shop, not dissimilar to Italy, Mm -hmm. that we all know now. Mm -hmm. And he brought um, all of his buddies that he grew up with, the pizzaiolos, the bread makers, uh, the pasta makers, all of these guys. And he imported them and brought them to the U.S. He had one in New York City in Trump Tower Mm -hmm. and one in Los Angeles um, on Beverly Drive. So... He had all his buddies there, and they he would have the stands. Like Italy, there's a pizza stand over here. There's a pasta stand, and people would come. And he also had like a small market of products and a little restaurant up top. Mm. And in New York, it was just so popular. It was there for 15 years. Mm. L.A. struggled a little bit. Um, I think people on the West Coast at the time white, weren't quite there yet. Right. They weren't. They, yeah, it was like still totally. happening in New York. Yeah. Yeah, it just hadn't moved west yet. Right. But he lived in LA, so he wanted it yeah. there. And he did it all his movie premieres there. And he like right. but it just didn't catch on the way New York did. And um it, I went there after school, uh, the one in LA, and I was twelve years old, and I remember specifically ingrained in my mind the look and the awe, the shock and awe in people's faces when they walked in. Not only because of the aromas that were going on, but all the Italian talking yeah. and all of the well, eating and giving it yeah. nothing. Yeah. Nobody was used to it. It's like you open the door and you're like in Italy. Yeah, it's like you've been transported. (laughs) And so I think that that was really, to me, that's what drew me in. It sucked me in Mm. to that world. Yeah. Did you have any idea of what you wanted to do when you grew up? Yeah. No. I just knew I wanted somewhat of that reaction. Mm. And when did you eventually realize that? I eventually realized it a little bit later in my life when I started to realize that I was good at cooking and I would cook for my family and that my grandfather was like, wow, you, you got it. It's mm. good. Not that I would make a career out of it. I'm, I mean, I know for a fact he was yeah. like not happy when I decided to actually go that route. But, um, but I think that I got attention in a family that was, you know, very dominated by all the men and yeah. I got attention for cooking and also felt powerful because of that. And I think those are the reasons that I ended up in this field. Was there a route that was a little bit more expected of you from Yeah, you, you work in the movie business. It was, oh, it was like- you, you, Yeah, and yeah. I had to do it. Yeah. I, I had to before I could go to college. My family was like, okay, 
you need to work every department on a movie and figure out what department you want to be in. I did that and I decided I have no interest in this life. There is not one department I want to be in. Mm. And then I went to college. Yeah. And and you went to college. What you studied? I went to UCLA. Yep. I was trying to avoid that. Yeah. I don't want to say where. But. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Bruin. I went to UCLA. I studied. Edit it out. <laughs> you can edit it out. Okay. Uh, I studied I have a, I have a anthropology. Um, and... Uh, and and then I went to Cordon Bleu in Paris hmm. after that. Why anthropology? Because I studied food anthropology as my minor. Um, I loved understanding cultures and food. So I, I studied culture with anthropology and then food anthropology as to how cultures develop through their food practices. That's cool. So the, you're already thinking about that. You're already thinking about Yeah, like, I knew I loved food. Yeah. Well, I actually tried to do psychology first and realized – I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear Too much people's problems. Involved. I got enough yeah. my own yeah. shit problems. Yeah. I do not need to be listening yeah. and helping others. Yeah. So but I want to know So I was like, that sounds great. Yeah. By the way, you have to understand nobody in my family ever went to college. Yeah. Yeah. I was the first. So they were like, yeah. are you just trying to buy yourself some time before yeah. you have to work? Is yeah. that Back what's happening here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, um, and then I just said, I'm going to culinary school. What was something interesting? I'm, I'm curious about this food anthropology stuff now. But what was something interesting that you learned about? I'm sure there were several, but that you remember that stood out to you? Um, I think that a lot of what I realized is that culture is is really um, its birth is out of the food, and the food that kind of defines a culture has a lot to do with what's available in that right. area, right? right? So. Part of the interesting part of Italy is that the food you get in the north is not the food you get in the south. Mm. I think we've started to understand that, yeah. but for 20 years I've been having to preach that because nobody seems to understand that you can't go to Venice and, great, and get great pizza. Right. You get seafood in Venice. Mm. They're on the ocean. Right. And you get really – you get hearty food because it's freaking cold there for right. many months of the year. Yeah. And you get a lot of dairy when you go to Tuscany and Umbria and Emilia-Romagna. When you don't get as much heavy dairy when you go down south, you get olive oil, right? So really understanding that is going back in history and understanding just the culture of the people that were there. And why is there um, – why are there Middle Eastern products in Sicily and all over like Campania? Sea. No. Well, and also they were um, – a lot of a lot of the Middle Eastern countries, North African countries, were like invaders. Egypt. Yeah, yeah, they all invaded Southern yeah. Italy. It was yeah. constantly being invaded, right? And there were the salt trades and all of that. Turkey. Yeah. So that's why the food is such an amalgamation of many different countries. And there's bits and pieces of flavors, right? right? There's cinnamon and raisin used in Sicily. Well, you don't yeah, use it random. anywhere else in Italy in mm -hmm. their food, mm -hmm. you know. But you see it because they were invaded by the North Africans that brought it in. So that's where it connected. It be, I became more of like a historian teacher right. of, of culture yeah. and why they eat a certain way and why those foods are so important to them. That's and that's where it came from. Yeah. So then I thought, okay, now I'm going to do the other side. I'm going to actually learn how to cook. Avocado <laughs> and like, I don't know what else. <laughs> Almonds, citrus. Citrus is really the thing that was here. 
Yeah. From yeah, forever ago. And all that stuff yeah, that is like ago. that is in our yeah. in our street. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. it was fascinating to me because it really helped me understand my culture. Right. Because yes, my family told me stories and yes, they know, but they didn't know why. Like I'm a big why person, but mm -hmm. why? There's gotta be a reason right. why we have these ingredients. Yeah. And it made me a better teacher, which made me a better cook, yeah. which made me better at doing my job that I did for 23 years, mm -hmm. which is teaching cooking on television. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So what was Paris like going to school in Paris? Oh, I love Paris, but don't tell him. Why not? I love Paris. I love Paris. I too. love Paris. Well, because I'm supposed to love Italy more than Paris, Paris oh, but I but, love Paris. Yeah. yeah Paris, Paris is great. Paris is the chicest place, no place on like earth. It. it really is. Yeah. And even though the people can be you know, not the kindest that, and But warmest? I've never experienced that. In the couple times I've been there, never experienced that. In fact, they're almost better than the Americans. I, I experienced it. <laughs> I was okay. going to say, I, I wasn't comparing them to Americans per I, I se. Always I, I went during Bastille Day, so I definitely experienced it because it's a little, little crazy that day. Yeah. <laughs> but no. It's... Listen, they're just, the French in general tend to be a little more snooty, right? Yeah. And the Italians fine. and the Spanish tend to be a little bit warmer and yeah. inclusive right. and yeah. family oriented, where the French family oriented, but they're a little snootier. Don't you think? I don't mind it, maybe. They don't snub maybe, you. They maybe don't I like... don't mind it. Okay. Well, yeah. I know a lot of people who go and feel the same way. <laughs> and I lived there you? for a year and a half. Yeah, and I can like tell you, you know. that it's, yeah. it's yeah, rough. I'm sure, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. rough. Yeah. Even being, trying to speak Italian and not speaking English, because yeah. that is one of the things that really irritates them, it still was like... Maybe I just look more ethnic and like less touristy than others. Do um, I look touristy? No, not you, just in general. <laughs> <laughs> but Pat, I mean, you should have... Been in the same boat as me. Yeah, exactly. And he didn't have the same experience. So maybe most people have our You guys got to come to experience. Paris with me. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I mean, this is this is. I the, guess that's the, the answer. Solution, yeah. That's the Paris answer. Paris and pizza. What anyway. Are, what are some things you remember about that time just in school or out, out of school? How many croissants I ate and what I would do. I mean, we would make so much food. And I would go back to my one-room apartment and the amount of stairs I would always have to do, which kept me nice and trim. <laughs> um I made some really fabulous friends from all over the world that I still talk to today, which I think was a real gift for me. It was really hard, though, to be there. I never left my family before that. How, how, many, how many years is it, the program? Uh, it's a, two years. Sure. Yeah. But I never... So I traveled to the States with my family, mm -hmm. right? I lived... I grew up in L.A. I all went your, to college in all L.A. Your, all your friends were in your, in your family. Yeah, all my friends are in my family. And then all of a sudden I pick up one day and I just leave yeah. to a country where I do not speak the language at a school that only, I mean, today they speak English, but they didn't then. So you had to learn everything in wow. French. So they taught in French. Everything was in French. The classroom was in French and the um, when you were in the kitchen, it was all so in French. So how do you like pick it up? Exactly. It was rough. It was really hard. Luckily, I spoke some Italian. Yeah. Well, I didn't speak some. I spoke Italian, which was helpful because they're all Latin-based yeah, languages. Right. So it was a little bit easier than the Korean girls I was with, the Japanese yeah. girls oh, I was yeah. with. Yeah. Like, You're having to learn a new language Swedish, while learning food. The Swedish girls I was, they yeah. didn't, it was yeah. like, what? And things were flying and these chefs were like, they were not nice to us at all. Yeah. It was a rough, rough, rough time. And I tell you that I called my parents a million times saying, I want to come home. And they're like, if you come home, we're not helping you. You're, You're working in the movie business. <laughs> and you haven't even finished school, so you can't even get a job. And I was yeah. like, so anyway, I stayed there. Was the plan to come back though, like immediately after? Well, I had a boyfriend who ended up being my husband at the time. Mm. Um, that you met in Paris. 
Nope, I met him here. Met him here. I left him too, which is, I think, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. <laughs> Truly, I got there and I thought, but okay, what, I want to go home. Other, I did it. I what, got on a plane. And what I other there. option did you have, like, to be a chef? Like, that was kind of the the, the, the route, At right? the time, I didn't really have any other options. As a female in those days, yeah. 25 like, years ago, no one would have hired me. Yeah, like, you have to go to Le Cordon Bleu. Like, that route was the... You don't have to go to Le Cordon Bleu, but you got to go somewhere. So, the yeah. other options were CIA, yeah. which I got into, mm -hmm. Hyde Park. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I didn't want to live there. I was like, Chicago, come on. There was no school in Chicago um, and San Francisco. Those yeah. were the two other spots in the US. But I, San Francisco is an option, but I'm like, that's not far enough. Yeah. Like I have to show my family that I'm tough. Mm. I can do this. I can get, I can get out of the family business and do my own thing. Is that what went through your head though at that time? No. Yeah. At that time I was just like, I love cooking yeah. and I love desserts. And you guys have to understand, I really love desserts. And to, in my mind, where else would you go for amazing desserts and pastries France. but France? You yeah. have to go to France. Yeah. And Paris more specifically. And, and my thought was I was going to be an unbelievable pastry chef. Mm -hmm. I just figured I could do this. I love being around sweets. I'm a sugarholic. I can do this. That's why I did it. And then I got there and I was like, this is a mistake. I'm obviously not cut out for this stuff. Yeah. And I wanted to go home. And they were like, you're not coming home. Yeah. But you so did come back after, right after graduating or did you stay there? No, I... After graduating, I, I wanted to go to hotel school. After that, I got used to it. And I was like, okay, I can do this Europe thing. I want to go to hotel school in, um, where did I want to go to hotel school? Like a Switzerland. Like a hospitality program or something? Yeah, Switzerland has yeah. one of the best hotel hospitality programs <laughs> in the world. Never heard so of I wanted to go there. <laughs> and well, no, because if you're not in that world, you wouldn't know. Yeah. Um, I thought you were going to say like the one in New York. Cornell? No, 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 Cornell, honey. Yeah. I was all about Europe at yeah, that point. You're like, okay, I was I'm like, out. I want to have an unbelievably high-end chic pedigree. Yeah. Meanwhile, long-distance relationship. Long-distance relationship. Yes. And my boyfriend at the time was much older. He was like eight years older. So he had a business. Yeah, he was yeah, yeah. Anyway, my parents were like, no, nah, not going to pay for it. You got to come home. You got to work. So I came home and I started working in kitchens. So I worked for a French chef at the Ritz-Carlton. Then I worked for Wolfgang Puck. Mm -hmm. And I worked for Sherry Yards. Spago. Spago. Yep. Yeah. At Spago. And I realized that life is sucks. You yeah. make it's no like money. You have no life. You didn't see a future in it for yourself. Well, I saw a future in it, but I was like, uh, how am I ever going to support myself? Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. never going to make it. It's five bucks an hour. Right. If that. And that's before taxes. And you're working, and you're working like yeah. crazy hours. I'd get home at four or five in the morning. Wow. And, I, and a lot of the people I worked with were like out all night, drugs. Mm. It was everything. And I thought, Jeez. I'm never going to make it. Like, I'm just not built yeah. to do this. Yeah. So I started food styling. I started, uh, you know, assisting friends. I started um, private chefing and doing stuff like that. I was going to say, how did the whole like Ron Howard thing come about? Well, because I realized, okay, I need to make some money so I can actually be on my own or else I'm going to have to be living under my parents forever. And eventually they're going to be like, this isn't working out. You're going back to the movie business. So I just thought, I got to get a job where I can make some money. Anything to avoid the movie business. I just, I, you know, it just wasn't, I I, I don't know. I, I guess I just, I didn't want all those strings attached. Yeah, I just yeah. want to be my own person. Right. Yeah. Even if I didn't make a lot of money, I wanted to be my own person. Yeah. I didn't want to live under that. Mm -hmm. Not yeah. that it's a bad place to be, because many of my family members are, you know, were there. and. Right. But I just didn't want to do it. Anyhow, nothing. I just, I started private chefing and one friend told another and before I knew it 
you know, I got Ron Howard, I got a couple of other high-end celebrities, and then I got some just rich people. Yeah. And I started just cooking and delivering meals. It was boring as hell. So you were, where were you it. cooking? You were some people like for Ron, I'd have to do it at his house. And this is the nineties we're talking about now at this point or early two thousands? Early two thousands. Yeah. Late nineties, early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I I just started doing that and on the side I would assist some friends who were food stylists for food magazines. And eventually in the early 2000s, um, 2001, I think, maybe, no, maybe it's 2002. Wait, when was 9-11? 2001. Yeah. So that, September that 2001, yeah. right? So yeah. then January 2002, I get a call from a friend of mine for, from Food and Wine magazine saying, we're really trying to get some chefs, local chefs together, some from New York, some from LA, and we want them to create some recipes and we're going to do some like family cooking mm-hmm. i said all right i'll, I'll try it why not mm. this is great i can food style my own piece we're getting places yeah. in the world yeah. i did it i got my family together my grandfather was getting a lifetime achievement award at the oscars that year so i put my family together at his house and i did a spread of food and before i knew it the magazine came out i got a call from food network who said put yourself on tape that took me six months to do mm. and then after that everything just Everyday Italian started and it just snowballed. My career just like started going and going and I just kind of got on the treadmill and kept going. Yeah. I I read, um, and I'm sure you could speak more to it, that you weren't really comfortable at first being on screen. Like you don't want to do that. Is that true? True. Uh, I hated it. I well, lost 15 pounds my first season. That's like what was it? What did it come, were you just like, just like self-conscious by yourself or was it more of just... Yeah, I was self-conscious. I was uncomfortable looking at the camera. I didn't understand like Mm -hmm. you're wait, I'm cooking and I'm supposed to look at chop like what I'm doing, but I'm also (laughs) supposed to look at you. I'm also supposed to tell you what I'm doing. And I'm also supposed to tell you a story around it. Yeah. Without chopping my finger off. Without chopping my finger off. Right. And making sure everything's actually cooking and not burning. Yeah. 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 And I have all these cameras and all these lights and don't move too far to the right or too far to the left because you're out of the shot and make sure that your mic doesn't move. And make sure it doesn't fall down your pants or fall. Like I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around all that. And plus I was doing all the prepping. I was writing all the recipes. I was get. I mean, it was just a lot. This is the very different beginning. Now, right? Everything's like prepped for you. <laughs> Actually, you with Jodzi, nothing is prepped. Yeah, I do, I'm, I'm, I've reverted it. back to those days <laughs> the at this days, point because yeah. it's a beginning. And I, sorry, I didn't mean just for you, but the industry in general. Yeah. Like I feel like totally you just, you, when you watch now, it's just like. Here we go, some onions. You're like, wow, that was really fast. Yeah, I mean, it's it's different. For yeah, yeah. now, for everybody, it's second nature. You can't, right. but at the time, no. And I yeah. wasn't an extrovert. Yeah. I was very much an introvert. Yeah. And I think what people don't understand is people who love cooking and love being in a kitchen are usually not people who are good on camera. <laughs> yeah. The reason we chose to show you our affection for you mm. back there through the plate Right is the reason that we're not. Right. I mean, if you see like any 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 back of the kitchen, like yeah, people, they, everyone's just like sweating. And yeah, it's, like, it's not <laughs> glamorous. Right. It's not TV friendly. Yeah. It's like no. Right. So you have your makeup food, and your hair and your nails done. Like nobody, do, it, yeah. you look like a friggin' mess. Right. Was Food Network already doing a lot of shows at this time, or was it just starting to pick it started, up? These, just started. Yeah. And so it, it was just like, started. Yeah, and we talk about this all the time about but like, like Emerald was already on. Yeah. Right. About like how Food Network and like a lot of these shows made almost celebrities out of chefs before For that. Sure. Chefs, like you said, were back of the kitchen. Like they're not on screen, so it's like people weren't maybe growing blue collar jobs. Yeah. yeah. These are for exactly. these are jobs for people who. 
can't go to college yeah. or don't have a don't see a future for themselves. They're yeah. manual labor jobs. <laughs> They're not glamorous jobs. You know, I, I will say, you know, I'm sure the Food Network bounding story is amazing as well. But I remember watching, you know, Emerald and all the, everybody early on, like with my grandparents, Ooh. right? And like 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 you guys, you know, about family. Like all we knew was cooking at home. We didn't really go out. We didn't have the money to go out. Like if we did go out, you would like, wow, Cheesecake Factory. Like, wow, that's what what a treat that is. But that's all that was there. That's all that was there. That's all that America was. That's all we knew. It was all chain restaurants. Right. Right. It wasn't like this, you know, specialty Italian, North Italian, Southern France. It wasn't that stuff. But it was just so interesting as a kid to see. And I mean, that's why I, I mean, I'm nowhere near a good cook, but like I enjoy cooking. But, you know, that as a kid, even I was like, wow, this is cool. Like, cool people get to be on TV cooking, right? So that means that, like, you know, if you cook, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Right? Wish I pursued it, maybe looking in hindsight. But, you know, it was just so interesting to see that in, you know, your, yourself. And, I mean, there were so many people, like Pat said, that became celebrities and almost made it this cool thing to go from behind the kitchen to in front of the screen. Like, it was it was quite phenomenal, really. And nationwide. Like, yeah, nationwide. you have to think, like, Julia Child started that a long time ago, yeah. right? But it was local. Right. And yeah. and there were then there were all the locals popping up in all these different cities, but this is like international. Right. I mean, Food Network was was aired in ninety countries. We spoke wow. different languages. Yeah. Like when you people would go to Japan and send me a picture and be like, Oh, you speak Japanese. <laughs> oh, you speak Spanish. Oh, you speak this. You speak all over the world. Yeah. Like that's so it, it it blew it up into a completely yeah. different world than it could have ever imagined it being. Yeah, I can imagine most people who are in culinary school, the goal is to either get out and maybe work somewhere for a bit and then just open up your own restaurant, like to have yes, your own restaurant. Yes, that was, that was always... And I, yeah, and I know you eventually you know opened up your own restaurants, but in the meantime, when this opportunity comes about where it's like to be on TV and it's like just starting up and it's not something that you could have ever imagined, did it feel weird? Like, am I off track? Am I on track? Like, what am I trying to, Well, it, like, well, how were you, how was it, what was your mindset at the time? Well, it was weird because my family was in the movie business. Right. And in those days, unlike today, TV is not as cool as movies. Yeah. Right. Like TV is like, the bottom of the barrel. Right. You can't be an actress, so you're going to be a TV actress. It's like, yeah. it's yeah. really bad. Like soap opera. Exactly. So it was not seen as something that was cool or hip. Yeah. Um, and so my grandfather, I remember specifically him telling me like, uh, I built this family and I built this business and it's, and we're glamorous and we're high end. And now all of a sudden you're going to be on TV you're going to ruin everything I've built. So that's, Was that actually that's, a conversation you had with him? Yes. That, that's what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Wow. That, that was like the, the mindset at, at the time. I mean, I can imagine even him. Like nobody could have imagined nobody, no, yes, how big no, of a thing of it was going to be. Of course not. And yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying like he said the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one imagined it. Yeah. No. And most people who took the risk, he felt like were below him. Mm. Right? There are people that didn't have other opportunity so they just took and that he's opportunity right. yes he's right yeah. he's right yeah. yeah if you ask a lot of the other people who were on food network bobby flay emerald they'll all tell you like we had no idea but we figured it could be good press for our restaurants mm. maybe and if it isn't we got nothing to lose right in in my grandfather's mind he had everything to lose right if yeah. this was something that was going to bring the family it's a different mentality it's all about family the family right. name building a you know what i mean yeah 
Americans don't have that same perception of the of family. It's yeah. different. You Everybody's know, out on their own. I will say something that you said that's interesting and I think connected to entrepreneurship in general is that, you know, the people that couldn't be in film, you know, probably did this or they became part of TV back then. And it's very similar to entrepreneurship, I yes. feel like, in the sense that usually the people that are starting a company or doing something new are those that were either rejected from a corporate position or were in that world, didn't like it. They're like, oh, there's got to be something better out there. And they start something and everybody's like, well, that's going to be shitty. And then next thing you know, like, you know, they're a multi-million, multi-billion dollar company that they're building. And it just kind of always starts out that way. It's yeah, always it's the like naysayers. they're searching. Yeah, yeah. Right? They yeah. don't know. And they just they- happen to stumble upon that. And then it works out, or and doesn't, they don't, and they yeah. don't fit into the status quo. Right, that's always right. that's always what right. happens, right? right? So at first they're see, yes, they're looked at, sort of. Yeah, like what the heck are you doing? Correct. So you you, you said you were big on the why. Did you ever think to yourself like why me? Like why was I so fortunate enough to be in that position? To be on, ca- on to be on. Yeah, camera? now looking back, you know, to when it first happened, like you know, there's probably like a handful of people that everybody could name that were on Food Network and have still continued to be relevant, you're one of them. You know, do you ever ask yourself or do you think about or have you thought about why me? Or was it just the right place, right time? I think I've thought about it a lot and I think part of it is right place at right time. I I truly believe in that. Not everybody does, but I do believe that it's kismic in a way. The, The stars have to align. There are people out there that are way better. Cooks, teachers, Everything than me. But it's not all about that. But it's not all about that. Yes. But there are people that are more gifted in all departments, right? But the question is, is the audience ready to sort of You also have to have a certain personality. Yes, but you have to understand, Pat, I didn't have that personality. You have to develop that. That's what anybody who's known me for like 30 years knows in my family. They're like, who are you? (laughs) How did you, you are not the same person that you were growing up. You're a completely, even all my friends who've known me since high school, they're like, you're not the same person. It's uh-huh. like, truly, I say, I say this a lot. Being, forcing myself to do this job has allowed me to tap into a part of myself that I think was hidden from the world. I was not comfortable enough in my family to voice whatever talent I had, because you lived under the shadow of some, of people, my grandfather, my grandmother, who had already achieved so much Mm. and come from nothing and created an empire. So like- You felt like whatever you did was not going to- Correct. Be good enough. Yeah. And if you ask people, kids or adults even, who come from famous or very successful families, they'll all tell you the same thing. It's very difficult to live under that shadow because you don't understand- you can't imagine you could ever be bigger or better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not that that's the goal. Right. But, but your you, identity's in that. Yeah. And it's so hard to break free from it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so did you like, were there people that you looked up to or like you looked at maybe that were on screen? You're like, I want to sort of try to emulate their, the way they come off. Well, I no. think, I think that, um, I mean, you know, at the time, I watched a lot of the Galloping Gourmet. I know that he had all sorts of other issues that came out (laughs) after that. But like, um, I watched a lot of Julia Child. I did love how fun she was and how unintimidating she made it. (laughs) And you know, I think that also when I was doing uh, 
my cooking show, I said, I said, I use the word we a lot. We are going to do this together. I'm not going to show you how to do it. Yeah. We're going to do this together. Right. Whether it's a success or not, but we're going to go on this journey together. Mm. And I think that word we really helped people um, not feel intimidated by me. Mm -hmm. And you have to remember when I started, we're looking at Emerald, chef, wore a hat. Yep. Kind of intimidating. Bam, through the salt. Yeah. Mario Batali was doing Italian food at the time. Two Again. big guys. Like and how I'll, how am I possibly going to make whatever they're making the correct. same way? Correct. Yeah. And, and, and I think Mario, who is probably one of the most talented chefs in the world, barring everything else that happened, still incredibly talented and was a mentor to me in the early days. You know, he spoke to people like he knew everything and he did know a lot. But he, he, it wasn't, it wasn't very approachable. And I think that was the difference for me. And the difference that I think Rachel Ray also very yeah. approachable, Ina Garten, very approachable. That's why as women, we became successful right. because we were approachable and we demystified all of that stuff that goes on in the kitchen. As far as like the crew of the show, like the producers, like all the people that were involved, like were they just trying to figure it out as they went to, like, did, did you, did you ever feel like, like, they didn't know what they're doing in the beginning. Yeah. Absolutely, none of us until knew. like a rhythm kind of came. Like yeah, none of we... us knew what we were doing. Yeah. We were all trying to create new shows. Yeah, and and I, you know, when I started Food Network, they had and they still do. They have um, studios mm-hmm. right in New York, and so like, okay, come to New York. Well, I'm like, I'm not coming to New York. I'm staying here. My family's here. Mm-hmm. Like, I want my family in this show, mm-hmm. and I'm not gonna like be able to just get. I don't want to pay actors to come do it. I I need to be around my family or I can't do this. I just don't have the, I mean, I was so scared. So the ability to have my own family, my own friends around me was the gift. And at the time they did not do shows in LA. Yeah. Nothing. They had no studios. They had nothing. So we had to rent a house. We had to figure out, you know, ceilings of houses are really low for cameras. So we shot it with one camera. I did everything three times. Once this, once this wide, and once just my hands. I worked my first week of shows, 22 hours. Oh, That's how long. Yeah. We barely slept. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. Hmm. Not a clue. But did you believe that there was like something that's going to come of this? Or you're just like, no. I just don't want to go back to the movie world. <laughs> I, I didn't know what was going to come out of it. And I'll tell you that after the first season, they were like, you know I think people, I, I had a hard time co- connecting because I looked a certain way, which was not what they were used to seeing. So it mm-hmm. was like, oh, you hired a model and you just fed her some lines and mm-hmm. you pretend, you know, you gave her some recipes and you tried to get her to cook. So I had to fight that a lot. And I, you know, not anymore, yeah. but I fought it for 10 years, hmm. 10 years of it. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. 
Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash founder hour. Once again, go to shopify.com slash founder hour to take your retail business to the next level today. So, I mean, you know, working 22 hours or whatever, 20 hours, anything near that is a crazy amount of time. Do you think that, you know, just speaking kind of more generally about work ethic and just working hard, et cetera, et cetera, that that's what it takes to be successful? Is that the level of commitment, the level of, you know, commitment to the risk that it takes to make it? I mean, because again, there's not that many food stars on TV or celebrity chefs or whatever we want to call them. There's really not that many around the world. Is that like, what does it take to become that good, to become that known, right? Whether or not that is the goal, but that's kind of the result here. Is that what it took? I think when you start anything from the when you start something, it's it's going to require a lot of commitment. Yeah, and unfortunately, that commitment's probably a lot of your time yeah. <laughs> and energy, and that's just kind of what it takes. I don't know that I've met many people in my life who said it came so easy overnight. Mm. I hardly did anything to do to get it. I don't think I don't think that happens. It might be different levels. You know, right. but I don't think anything comes easy that. But you guys like legitimately started a new industry in a sense, right? It was, it was like food education, like, you know, online or whatever on TV or whatever it was, that wasn't a thing. Like now we look back to your point about like, you know, Italian food not being available in 1970s, which is to me crazy because I wasn't born then. Now, if you ask somebody who's born today, they're like, oh, food TV shows, like people are cooking on TikTok like 24-7, like that's what people do, like that's my whole feed, like people do it at home, like that's that's crazy. Like grandma's been cooking at home, mom's been cooking at home all these years, nobody recorded them. Yeah, and people have asked me like, why that boom in the yeah. early 2000s? Yeah. 9-11. Really? Yeah. Anytime there's a disaster, anytime there's some kind of that makes economic distress, this is what you get all new businesses from it. And you yeah. guys know that. Yeah. As, I mean, entrepreneurs, that the, the biggest, greatest inventions have always happened when there's like a crisis, right? Mm -hmm. And 2011 was the shift that Americans start, stopped going out to eat so much and started cooking in. Well, that and also I'm sure they're flipping through the channels, seeing the news and it's all like devastating stuff. And then you come across this food <laughs> channel and you're like, this seems fun and light. Like, I'm just going to, like, I'm, I'm not even, I remember I would just watch it just to, like, you know, I'm like, no, while I'm eating, I'm like, this is, <laughs> you know, I'm just like hungry. I'm just like watching it. I'm not really. Let me get hungrier. <laughs> yeah. Hungrier. Yeah. But I mean, if you ask people who had restaurants at the time, they'll tell you yeah. their business just plummeted from mm -hmm. one day to the next. We're talking 2001 and then 2011 again. So after post 9-11 and post like recession or great financial crisis. Yep. Yeah. Yep. People just decided that they were staying home and they were entertaining at home. But guess what? Now you got to learn how to cook. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so if you didn't know how to cook, you were going to learn how to cook. And people right. were really emotional about reconnecting with their heritage in a way that had been disconnected before. Mm. You know, I think people started to prioritize family, all these things that had been disconnected. They all reconnected. And that all together was why the stars aligned and some of us became, yeah, you know. And the show Everyday Italian was eight years? Yeah. Did you think it was going to be that long? No, none of this. I didn't believe any of this. I didn't, I was always like, okay, well, when it ends, I'm going back to catering. 
when it ends, I'm going back to private chat. Yeah, yeah. I was always like, when it ends, I had no, I had no expectations of anything, to be honest. And the great thing about my family is neither did they. Mm. I know you laugh, but like being a woman, nobody did. Yeah. They were like, uh, okay, she's having some fun. Eventually she's going to get married. She's going to have some kids. Maybe she'll come back to the movie business and that's it. So yeah. nobody had any expectations. So guess what? Neither did I. Yeah. So I was like, ah, I'll just run it and we'll just see where this goes. Yeah. yeah. I'm mainly laughing because there was a question I think, you know, we asked when we were interviewing the founder of Xbox not too long ago about like, you know, the, not only like lifestyle, but like w what he wanted to do. And is that something that he saw himself doing? And he was like, you guys are like millennials. Like you guys think like everything's like a lifestyle. And like, we made a choice. Like we had no fucking choice. It was just like, you just did it. And like, if it worked out, it worked out. And if yeah. it didn't work out, then it didn't work out. And you yeah. did the next thing. Nowadays right? we talk about, Gotta yeah. plan your life. Right. Where do you see yourself in ten right. years? That wasn't the right. mentality. Like we just did not think that way. I also feel like a lot of that has led to a lot of anxiety and depression to, in people. Fuck. Like, and that's increased. Hell yeah! Because yeah. it's always like, okay, well, I'm not content with what I have now. Yeah. I have to keep growing. I have to keep building. I mean, and I speak from experience. Like that happens all the time. It's like this is just not enough. Like I need to do more. We need to yeah. do better. But we guess need to make why more money. you feel that way? Yeah, because that's what society's kind of told you. And where you think you're getting that? Social media, yeah, because you're watching everybody else. You're like, comparing wait, yourself. this yeah. person right. has got this, and this yeah. person's got. Yeah, you're always comparing yourself. We didn't have that, right? So you're maybe you were comparing yourself to a couple of friends, but like, yeah. the world wasn't so open for you to to see what yeah. people were doing. Like, like you were on a path to being in the culinary world, and like, but like, yes, you know, the traditional culinary world, and this opportunity comes out that has never happened before, and and you obviously. Credit to you, to, you know, you jumped on that opportunity because a lot of people I feel like are presented opportunities, but they're so one track minded that mm -hmm. they're like, I know I'm on this path and I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to deviate from it and do whatever this random TV show you're pitching me is. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm just going to, I want to be a chef. I want to be a, in the restaurant and all that kind of stuff. But like, like you can't ever predict where things are going to go. Things are changing and now even faster than they were before. So it's like having that open-mindedness and flexibility and malleability to be like, you know what? I, I, I need to separate this craft that I'm learning from this career that I I'm supposedly supposed to have because there could be something that is more lucrative that I, don't, I can't even imagine yet. You just got to go on the journey. Yeah. And you just got to trust your gut that whatever opportunities come, you'll make the right decision. And even if you don't, you learn from it and you move on and do something else. Like, I think, you know, I have a 16-year-old daughter and everything's about what's my career going to be? Mm -hmm. And I have to plan college for my career. And I'm like, dude, you're <laughs> 16. Who knows? You might have 17 different careers. Right. Like, this is a journey, guys. We're just, we're on it for as long as we're allowed to be on it. Mm -hmm. Enjoy the journey. Take the chances. See where they lead you. Some will be great. Some won't. I don't know, just enjoy it because if if I were to rethink and overthink every step that I did or not take those opportunities, then I wouldn't be here. I'd mm -hmm. be working in the movie business doing something right. else. So along this time, as it's starting to grow and gain popularity, were were you just on a high, like just feeling like on top of the world, like I'm, you know, things are just working out or were there like certain challenges that came along the way that maybe people don't know about that you had to face and deal with? That you're able to share. Well, I think I never felt like I was on top of the world. I always felt like, you know, I grew up watching actors come and go 
from popularity to not being. So I felt like I knew that this is temporary. This is not something that's going to last forever. Like one day, one day I might be here and one day they might. Yeah, they may not like me or they may fire me or I don't connect anymore. Like it happens all day. And I used to watch actors go through that, right? You just not the flavor of the day Mm -hmm. or the month Mm -hmm. or the year. And so I knew that this was a temporary thing. And I just really saw it as a job. And I just knew that I got to make hay while the sun is shining and move on after that and be okay with whatever. And so, and because I have a big family, I felt like it's okay. Like I have my family, like that is my grounding. And I think that for me, I, I just, I had no idea where it was going. I had no expectations of what I wanted it to be. And I just thought, okay, it's good while it's lasting and I'll take the opportunities that come my way. I'll enjoy them. And I kept getting, okay, then you do a book here and then you do it. And you know, when you're in it, when you're on that treadmill, you have a lot of time to think about everything else. Mm, right. You're in the moment. Then I got pregnant, then I had a kid, then we switched shows. Like it was like, boom, 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 boom. And so sometimes when you're in life and daily life, you don't have time to look out right. and beyond or step away from you and just look down. So it's, um, you're just getting through the day. And as a working as a mom, it was, it was rough. It was rough balancing. It was rough having a child and bouncing back six weeks later, going back on, you know, back to work. Um, I think it was rough, you know, being a female in this business, people taking you seriously it's rough in the restaurant business for people to take you seriously when you're a woman from TV. And when yeah. I opened my first restaurant in Vegas, it was like, you know, people were like, you know. Even then, even after all that. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But you have to remember when I opened Vegas, there were maybe two other female-owned uh, restaurants on the Strip. They were all male. They were all celebrity male chefs on the Strip. Like Emerald Bobby. Is- Wolfgang. Yeah, yeah Wolfgang. There were tons, but there were ones from Europe, from Japan, like all over the place, right? But there were no females. And so I think when people saw me, they were like, is this a joke? What is happening here? So it's just a lot of stereotyping, a lot of, uh, not a ton of respect, but, you know, now that it's been 23 years, now I do get respect, (laughs) but it took a long time. um, do you think like generally which is why st- I never saw myself as like I'm on top of the world yeah that's why yeah you always felt like there's this like monkey on my back yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but do you think um as a as a as a industry like it's not are, are women still kind of in that position now or do you think that's changed generally obviously you're not because you've you know, I think it has this. gotten a lot better yeah but, but it's still but it's still yeah I mean look let's just Women in general. We don't even have the right to have an abortion in some states. So it got to a certain level and now it's like, I mean, forget my business. All women. I mean, I think we were getting, and now we're sort of taking a couple of steps or more if for some women feel like it's a lot of steps down. But that's in all businesses. And I think the restaurant business has definitely gotten a lot better. What was it like when you were opening up your first restaurant? Like you had- hell. Because you hadn't done that in a long time. I mean, you had I'd never, never done, done it. it. Yeah, you had never done it. But you I'd hadn't even worked in one. Like you were working. Yes, I'd worked in one, but like. 
<laughs> way before you were doing TV, right? Yes, way yeah. before. Yeah, so so, so like I had been a... in that restaurant right. grind for a long time, yeah. and I had, well, I still have a two hundred seventy five seat restaurant, and I never had a restaurant in a hotel that is a boutique hotel has yeah. one hundred and fifty rooms mm-hmm. on one of the most important strips in the world for mm-hmm. food. And I, I, um, it was difficult. I mean, I got divorced over it. Like it, my, my life sort of started yeah. to just crumble. Mm. Uh, and I had a five-year-old and I was getting divorced and all of a sudden, like it was, it was hell. It was, it was hell. I mean, I just, it was really tough. Yeah. Really, really, really tough. And I think, you know, I, I, I think that, um, there were just, there were moments and glimmers where I felt like I was on top, but for the most part, I was always, there was, you know. Are you somebody that like juggling. really throws all of you into something when you're yes. working? Yeah. Like you're, you know, you decide I'm opening up a restaurant. Like yep. this is all I'm mainly That's focused all on. That's all I see. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm tunnel visioned, which is yeah. probably part of the problem and why my marriage fell apart. So. But was opening a restaurant like almost expected? Like that was the next step? Like did you have to do it? Or you wanted to do it? Um, I don't think it was expected, but I think that I wanted to prove that I could do it. Um, I didn't actively look for it. Uh, they came to me, they came to me with a few different spaces, but then they eventually came to me with this specific space and it was a two floor parking garage and I got to rebuild. I get to build a restaurant that almost actually, I will say never yeah, happens. Just in don't Vegas, say no to something like that ever. Like you never yeah. get carte blanche to do that ever. And it had a view of the Bellagio fountains. And my nice. name is on the strip. It is not in a casino somewhere. It right. is on the strip. Yeah, when you yeah. drive down, you can see it. Yeah. So I think I felt like, holy shit, I have to take this. Like, even if it's the biggest giant, the biggest failure of my life, right. you have to I, try. I have to try. I have to try. So I did. And, and was, was the TV business, was it lucrative at that point yet or not really? No. Books were lucrative. Mm-hmm. The restaurant, lucrative. Mm-hmm. The TV business, not great. It was okay. I'm not going to say it wasn't good, because, yeah. but it wasn't, it wasn't as good right. as books, as endorsements, and as the restaurant mm. in Vegas. I don't mean restaurant business in general, because restaurants really are rough. But this restaurant in Vegas, yeah. And I, but you needed the TV to feed all the other businesses, right? right? Yeah. You don't get those businesses. Like yeah, if for me, I, I, other chefs did get those businesses, but I was not going to get those businesses if I wasn't on mm-hmm. TV. So yeah. the TV helped get me all of those other things because mm-hmm. I did the reverse where more chefs opened restaurants then went on TV yeah, or did cookbooks and restaurants and then went to TV. I went to TV and then worked backwards. Yeah, yeah. So I needed the TV. It's to almost feed like what, we're, what we did with this podcast. Yeah. Like people like become like these like really famous celebrities, and they start a podcast. We're like we're just two random dudes. Let's just start a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> but that's. <laughs> but so it's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you don't have like you don't have a lot of expectation to like. But I kinda, tell you, yeah, yeah, you can have more fun right. when there isn't as much expectation. So, so you know, it's interesting because you keep calling it a job, and I'm sure that you're doing that intentionally because that's probably what it was or is, uh, or was, but. Um, did you ever lose your passion for food and cooking along the way? Oh, yeah. Many a times. Yeah. I think I think that when it becomes your job and you're doing, you know, I love to cook, yeah. but I, 
I love to cook when I don't have people in my face asking me what I'm doing, how I'm doing it. And by the way, stand over here. Mm, that angle doesn't look so good. Can you repeat that again? Can you, you know, recook that? Can yeah, you retoss yeah. that? Can you retaste that? So I love the art yeah. because to me, that's my meditation. That's how I relax. I go into a, a completely different space. Yeah. It's like nobody's even around me when I'm doing it. It's a dance and I'm in it by myself, yeah. right? But when I have a crew and I have a mic and I have this and I have lights and I have to, the job, yeah. it becomes a job. How do you fall back in love with it? I take breaks and I go to Italy <laughs> and, and I just, get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah. And once I do that, you kind of get I reconnect. revitalized. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of doing Jodzi is it has really reconnected me to, to Italy and my culture in a way that I think I had sort of lost. Was that something that you were thinking about for a while before you started or? That was something I started in 2016. Yep. It was a way for me to be able to have a more timely conversation with all of my fans because my shows were were taped six months in advance, right? So in June, we're, we're uh, shooting Christmas. And it just seemed a little bit detached. And as social media came to birth and, and came to become so popular, I felt like I didn't have a vehicle to talk to people in real time. Mm. So I started it as a blog, started Jodzi as a blog in 2016, just as a way to have conversations. People right. were always asking me about like, my daughter and what did I feed her and how was I juggling like, you know, being um, a single mom and all this stuff. And I felt like I couldn't really address that stuff on my show. It just yeah. didn't seem yeah. appropriate, yeah. right? Or evergreen. Let's redo that. Uh, exactly. That like yeah. it didn't seem, so this was a really great way for yeah. me to, to converse. Right. So that's how it started. And it went that way for a long time. And I did travel tips. and Because people always ask me, like, where do I go when I'm wrong? Where do I eat? Where do I stay? And I was like, I got to have a place where I have all this stuff. Because, yeah. like, I, anyway, so I could direct them there. So I did that. And that was a side gig. I had a couple of employees, and we all did it together. Whatever. Simple, easy. And then COVID. Mm. And the world shut down. Mm -hmm. And I had, ha I had some friends who had, um, they were importers a lot of them in New York, New Jersey. And I got a call one day and one of my importer friends was like, I have all this great Italian products sitting in my warehouse. I don't know how long this is going to last. And the restaurants are closed. Nobody wants anything. What am I going to do? Maybe you can help me move it. So I built a little pantry mm -hmm. um, business quickly, like bootstrapped it, um, e-commerce. And I started selling the stuff and shipping it to people around the country. And that's how the pantry side of Jodzi grew. And when that became successful, I was like, I'm gonna wait till COVID's really over yeah. to see if this really is gonna work. Because so many businesses were thriving during right. COVID and then COVID shut, everybody, the world opened up and right. those businesses were done. Mm -hmm. And it continued and it continued. Mm -hmm. And I started realizing that part of it was because I would tell them what to do with these ingredients. For instance, I have all these, you know, this library of recipes. Mm -hmm. And I was just connecting this shape pasta from this brand with these tomatoes, with this oregano, with this salt. And I would create the recipes to go with it. Recipes that I pretty much already had. Yeah, yeah. And that's why it started to just. It's like A to Z. It's like the ingredients, Correct. but also how to make the food. Correct. Everything. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so for those that are hearing about Jodzi for the first time, what is it or what was it? And then what has it become? It, it was a blog yeah. and it has become an e-commerce platform. 
um, where there's media content and um, a pantry business, all mm-hmm. things Italian. So you yep. can get travel, you can get, you can buy products that are direct from Italy. Right. Um, these are packaged goods for the most part? These are all non-perishable. Okay. Well, actually that's not true because I have two Padmigianos that okay. are perishable. Yeah, yeah. So perishable and non-perishable goods. Um, and you can also buy kits with all the ingredients to make cacio pepe, let's say, mm. lemon spaghetti, which I'm famous for, all that. Um, content, travel, um, and soon um, tabletop. I mean, the goal now, now that I've got an investment and <laughs> I'm in the world of VCs. Yeah, the totally different world from the Tech blog. founder. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to say like, um, totally different world. I would say, mm, yeah, so- I've had I've had a lot to learn. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I did not go to business school, so yeah. when I started this, still don't want to go back to the film industry. I was like, <laughs> mm, cap tables. What the hell's a cap table? Yeah. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Like all these terms, I've yeah. never in my life heard of. But right. anyhow, well, I basically, USC, basically, <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, I didn't know those things either. Exactly. I still don't. You know what? <laughs> I would say that I would benefit from going to you know some kind of program for business because it is Probably tough. Not. I did business at USC and I did not learn any of this stuff. So you didn't? Uh, no. Okay. Well, I've learned more fi- during this I think this you're podcast. fine not going to school. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Unfortunately, maybe you create like a jazzy version of like business where you learn about the business. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. trust me, I've thought about yeah. shooting it so that people can see yeah. what I've had well, to do go. to there get to that point. Yeah, but anyhow, awesome. you know, I think for me, the goal is it's a one-stop shop for yeah. all things Italian. Hmm. It doesn't matter what it is. It, it can be travel, it can be product, it can be home, it can be anything. Mm-hmm. But when you think of Italian, the first place that you think of Googling is Jodzi. Mm. I love that. And that is the goal for Jodzi. And that's mm-hmm. where we're working towards. I'm sure it'll be another 20 years, but, you know, it's been a fun ride. In terms of where you see just like the culinary world going, obviously there's so many, there's companies like Jodzi, there's restaurants, there's so many things that are kind of part of that. You know, for someone who's maybe in culinary school now or wants to be in, in, you know, in the culinary world, what would you tell them in terms of what to expect? My nephew, who's 18, said he wants to be a chef and he asked me that exact question. What do I do? Like, where do I go? What do I think? What do I do? I said, well, the first thing you want to do is make sure that you like try different jobs. Same thing as my grandfather and my family said to me. Yeah. Try different jobs in the movie business and see where you find your place. I said to him, you got to try different things. Work in the kitchen, start there. Find a mentor and not me because I'm your family. So you need to find somebody other than me and work in a kitchen and see how that feels. Do that for like six months. Then um, see if you can write. Now he doesn't like to write. So we already know that that doesn't work. Do you like to go to restaurants? Do you like to talk about food? Like, what are the things that you like about food? Mm-hmm. And then find what you are doing that's unique in the marketplace because it is saturated in a yeah. way that it has never been before. They're in LA now. Oh, now it's, it's like all about fusions. It's Fusing crazy. like two totally random, like, you know. Things. Right. But to me, and it's funny because I've worked with a lot of chefs who do a lot of fusion. Yes. I feel like the ones who are, able to test to basically last yeah. are the ones that stick to their lane. I thought you were going to say Benny Hanna. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, 
It seems like they come and go. Like, well, because when you think of a certain like, I've like, always what's said a successful one. Like, what are you thinking of? No, I'm just saying that like Nobu. Yeah. What does Nobu do? They're very expensive seafood by Japanese food. Japanese food. Very expensive Japanese food. It's very simple. <laughs> That's the fusion. High price and Japanese. But yeah. he's not fusion. Yeah, he's always fusion. been no, Japanese. Japanese yeah. And it's it's been top quality, right? right. It's a high quality, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So, but if I say someone like, I'm trying to think like who? I don't want to disparage anybody. But yeah. I'm just saying, yeah. people who mix different fusions right. together, it's very difficult to get through the fray. Right. And I don't think it's how people love to eat on a regular basis. And so right. to be successful in the restaurant business, you got to make food that people want to eat regularly. So let's say you're currently in culinary school. What would you do? What would you, like, you, given the saturated world of food? I'd think about where I was from, yeah. the kind of food I grew up eating. Christina Tosi is a great example, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Milk bar? Yeah. yeah. It's a great example of someone who grew up eating a lot of American food. Mm -hmm. She likes specific types of food, cereals, things like that, and loved desserts, and kind of blended it together to make a very unique style of baked goods. Right. And very much in line with the type of food she grew up eating. And I think that's where I'm saying you got to think about who you are, where you come from, and what makes you unique. And if More you like want to change all that, yeah, and if you want to change all that, that's okay. But then you got to figure out who you want to be yeah. and stick to that. Mm -hmm. And that's the authenticity because that is what I think the world is looking for right now is authenticity. And if they can smell that you're not authentic. It just seems with like, we talk about globalization and westernization and how like everything's just becoming like a melting pot and like all these different cultures are mixing into each other. That, that piece is just over time, it seems like it's just going away, unfortunately. The unless you unless, piece? No, just like this, the cultural piece that mm -hmm. all, like sort of feeds into the authenticity piece, right? It's like. You, you talk about where you're from or you like you look at your family and how, you know, the food that they made or what it was like to, you know, be around the dinner table with them. And, and but it's it seems like over time, everyone's just, it's just becoming the same thing. I don't know if I don't know if you would I think because I think because we are so inundated with so much so much information all the time that we've sort of started to lose a little bit our own identity. Mm -hmm. Like if you think about young kids today. Everybody wants to be like everybody else. Mm -hmm. It's very it's very similar to um, when I grew up in the 70s. I didn't want to be who I was. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be like everybody else because mm -hmm. I wanted to assimilate into that culture. But that's also all you know. Yeah. Huh. But I think that what makes us unique is who we are. And you got to figure out who you are. And I think that as much as, yes, it's become a melting pot, I think we're also starting to shrink. Yeah. I think that people are starting to retract and they don't want so much mm -hmm. influence from other people, yeah. from other places anymore. We want to yeah. kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I so agree. I think it's yeah. going to revert back. And yeah. that's actually, that's yeah. what I was going to ask. And, I think we're not going to be able to globalize yeah. as much as we yeah, want. No, we talk yeah. about reversion all the time, uh, like almost all the time now. It's like, like everything's kind that's of where the signs are pointing like to your yeah. point. That's, but, yeah. but when it comes to, so the reversion back on like food or restaurants, for example, and we talked about this a little earlier of how, when we were growing up, even in the nineties, early two thousands, you know, we ate at home. Like that's like kind of all we knew, like going to a restaurant was either a luxury or like it was fast food. There was really Nothing no like in between. between. Yeah. Agreed. You know, 
are we going to revert back to those days where we are cooking more? I mean, I think it's already happening, but, you know, we're going to start cooking more at home. Maybe we host more people at home. There's more activity in the community around the food. Um, or do you see there continuing to be a growth in the restaurant space and more and more restaurants and more and more restaurant failures as a result of the more and more restaurants? Like, where, where do you see the I think restaurant restaurants, space going? I think restaurants will always be a part yeah. of, our, of our communities. They also have to be because they're an integral part of, you know, the culture of the culture of our communities. And so they're always going to be there. But I think that there was a time where, like you said, it was either fast food or high end. And there was nothing for the every night, the every day. And I think that we're starting to see people doing that. A better food that's a little bit more affordable Mm -hmm. for families. I was actually going to, that's funny you mentioned that because I was going to say it seems like the middle layer is the one that's struggling the most because you have the fast food and like the, you know, and then you have the really high-end restaurants that have their regulars and people come and spend a lot of money and let's call it the margins are a lot nicer and better, right? Especially if they serve alcohol. But Because it's hard to make money in the middle. It's hard to make money in the middle. And so it seems like a lot of these restaurants that like, you know, open up and then like two years later they're gone and it's like because it's really hard to make money in the middle and (laughs) that's why but you will see in vegas where i always sort of check the market um that's what they're opening the middle the middle the middle yeah because they have so many visitors they can't always afford to you know spend all of this money and they don't want fast food because they can get that at home so why go to vegas but you have a captive audience there. It's a little, you know, and that's why Vegas is so unique. Or even like, you know, somewhere like New York, there's, there's LA, it's a little bit more spread out, but there's captive audiences in these places. But Paris, like London, you know, these major metropolitan cities, they can do really anything and they're, they're fine. I think more, more specifically, when I think about LA, you know, it's just so spread out, so difficult to commute, so difficult to have a community. Like, I don't, it, it's so, I don't know, it's so difficult to see it succeeding versus, the well, European I think, countries. I think community Vegas. restaurants. So you have to go to pockets. Right. Like you go to um, West Hollywood. Right. There's a pocket there. Right. There's like Beverly Hills, I would say, is yeah. it's not really because Silver it's more Lake. touristy. Silver Lake, right. Los Feliz. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, Brentwood, mm. Pacific Palisades, Santa right. Monica, Malibu. Right. Those are pockets. Right. If you can open a restaurant there where people go on You're a good. regular basis, You'll be in business for 50 years. Right. Yeah. Right. If you you open a high-end restaurant, I mean, they're expensive, but like in Beverly Hills, it's a little different because- But also like, you know, how how often are people going to that high-end? Like how often is someone going to a Michelin star restaurant? Like I mean, and is there? But they're not money makers, Michelin star restaurants, right? It's it's kind of like looking at it like a designer who comes out with Mm -hmm. a hook couture line. They're not looking to make money. So what are they looking to do? They're looking to make a name for themselves so then they can open the fast foods and mm. everything else. Interesting. It's the same approach as you would look at a uh, designer in the um, fashion world. Mm-hmm. Right. Think about it that way. You start high and then you work your way down. Has that worked? I mean, is it sustainable? Like Nobu to go? <laughs> Nobu hasn't done it. I'm always shocked that he hasn't done it, but he hasn't because it's not, he doesn't want to be part of that right. world. Yeah. But look at Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. Yeah. Gordon Ramsay 
then I know people don't want to think about this, but he is he's a Michelin starred yeah. chef. But I think but he has a restaurant guys, in Vegas, right? That's like he's got more. tons in Vegas. That's not a just you walk in and have a none of them are the Michigan and the the Michelin star restaurants are in London. Right, yeah. they're not here yeah. at all. So yes, it is possible. Look at it. But it's been done. Sell out at that point. Well, you were considered a sellout at that point, but the world has changed. And no, now he's just dominating and everybody else is like, wow, Wish we who did that. knew? Yeah. But remember, there are a lot of Michelin star restaurants and there's one Gordon Ramsay. Right. So like, yeah. it's a needle in a haystack. It's not like going to happen. It's like actors, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's only a few get to that top, top level. Um, but it's not impossible. I mean- with TikTok and social media. I mean, look yeah. at all these TikTok stars. It's look at all these Instagram stars. Yeah. They're sometimes bigger than any TV person. They're probably getting more viewers than the Food Network got during their peak. For sure. That's my point. They have and they're and the their their viewers, their followers are diehard. They're diehards. Mm-hmm. They'll buy anything. Mm-hmm. So the market since um you know, since COVID has changed again. A whole new business has just they've become rock stars. These TikTokers, these Instagram, mm-hmm. these YouTubers, they've become rock stars. And now they're starting to open up their own and restaurants. And now they, and they have their own cookbooks. Yep. And they, so do you see how, again, it's, interesting. it's yeah. happened again? Yeah. Could have never planned it. No. But my question, I guess, is, but are they good? Like, is it good? Probably some are good and some aren't. Like, like everything. Mm-hmm. Not every chef that's like had a television 20... show is is, is going to be a good right. cook. But like you were 22 hours. Show. You did the show for eight years. I mean, you you went to Le Cordon Bleu. You grinded it out. And then you have like random person on TikTok who like got bored during COVID and was like, let me go make, you know, crispy rice tuna. And hey, he's it's like, good. It's good. I don't know. But they're <laughs> massive. I mean, you know, like, no, no, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just, it's well, just, I don't know. We're going to have to see, yeah, right? Yeah. We have to I mean, wait and yeah. see. Yeah. It's the longevity piece. It's right. like, how yeah, long is it? You have to be around. Been able to last. Yeah. I don't know. Like I don't you, even know their names you now. You studied anthropology and like food culture. Like right. you know all this stuff that like yes, if but one like, restaurant fails, you can open up another one and be successful. But the thing is, is that we have to be there long enough. Like, you know, sure. Now you can say that because it's yeah. been for me 23 years. But like, I don't know. We've only, we're only three years out of COVID, right? Or yeah. yeah. So let's so just seems. see. Let's see. Some will go on and become giants and some will sort of fall by the wayside. Isn't that how it always works out? Yeah. You know. So um aside from Jodzi, like what other things do you have planned or are you excited about? Or are you just totally just tunnel vision focused on that right now? I op- I'm opening another restaurant in Scottsdale in February. So I'm focused on that. What's the uh, thing with it's Scottsdale? Been a long time it's, coming. It's, on the, it's on its way. <laughs> Scottsdale's huge. Talk yeah. about another city that's really grown exponentially yeah. since COVID. Mm-hmm. People have just flocked there. Yeah. Um and they have some really high end restaurants. Yeah. Like people are spending a lot of money in oh, Scottsdale. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Scottsdale at the end of February, Luna. And then um, I have a cookbook that I'm finishing up that comes out in 25. Um, is this number, which cookbook is this? This is 11. Wow. That's yeah, amazing. it's a lot. A lot of cookbooks. Volume, you, you got like <laughs> volumes of these things. Well, this is why I say with Jodzi, it's so great because I can repurpose so much between yeah. the cookbooks, the shows, and it's you're seeing like in real time. You're seeing in real time what works and what doesn't. Correct. What are people attracted to? What are people not yeah. attracted to? Which makes me a better writer, makes me a better performer, makes me a better everything. Curator. Curator. Yeah. yeah. And so Jodzi has been a giant gift. Although it's been a lot of work, it's been a giant gift of making me better and keeping me sort of um 
in the know about what's happening in our culture today in food yeah. Yeah. with the younger generation in a way that had I Someone just done TV not, or whatever, yeah. mm -hmm. you just can't stay in touch with it. So it's real time and it's amazing. What does Jada cook at home? Like when you're just, you know, hanging out, what do you do? Whatever my daughter wants. Half what the does time. she usually want? Does she just walk and be like, mom, I want this? No, she'll usually uh, Point text to the me. Cookbook. Oh, oh ahead of time. Say, yeah, yeah. You got to get her to be like, okay, go to the yeah. cookbook. Get the She's very picky at 16. She didn't used to be. Um, lots of pasta. She yeah. loves herself some pasta. Yeah. And um, Are you making fresh pasta every time you do that? No. Okay. Mm -mm. No. Um, I do make some fresh pasta, but no. I have my Jodzi pasta from Italy, so I use that. Yeah. And then um, lots of pasta. What else? Does she, hamburgers. Girl loves her hamburgers. I keep telling her like, are you grilling them outside? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, are you smashing them? Yep, <laughs> yep. But you know, she doesn't like to cook, but she certainly watches some TikToks and things. Yeah. And she'll give me like the latest in the food trend. Yeah. We did this sticky rice with um, mayonnaise mm. and hot sauce <laughs> and tuna that's pre cooked that you smash up and mix all together. And she was like, okay. And then this you take the, the nori, right? yeah, and you take the no, no, you take the nori and you shove it all in there, and then you use the nori to grab it all and eat it. Do you oh, guys yeah, remember yeah, when that yeah, was a yeah. thing? Yeah, yeah. So she made me do that for yeah. a while, and it was, anyways. So she, you know, she has her own thoughts on food, and they don't always, um, they're not always the most glamorous. Mm -hmm. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. Other than Italian, what's your favorite cuisine in the Japanese. world? Japanese. So like seafood or the meat. All of it. I just love the creativity. I love the detailed, the ornateness, the petiteness. Like the flavors are totally different than what mm. I know. Also the uh, like the optionality. Like yeah. you have so many different options Correct. in those both of those cuisines. Like you don't have to just have like pizza. <laughs> like you could have a million different types of pasta. Like you, you don't get sick of it is my point. Yeah. Yep. No, I love I, – I, yeah. Specific, I love Asian food, but I specifically love Japanese. And I've yeah. never been to Japan, so that's my next oh. goal for this year is to get my butt to Japan. Yeah, and then you're going to start year. the Jodzi of Japanese food at some point. I mean, <laughs> in a you know, in the grand scheme of things? Sure. Yeah. Will there be a physical Jodzi? We're going to do our first pop-up this summer in the Hamptons. Okay. So we'll see. I mean, I really like, you know, the e-commerce yeah. business. Yeah. But um, but <laughs> the powers that be that have invested in me always think that it's great to diversify and have right. a little brick and mortar here and there. Which I, was, I was reading yesterday that apparently malls are making a comeback. They are. Brick and um, mortar is coming back. Because of Gen Z. Yep. Because they want everything instantly. Yep. I was at a mall this weekend. And it was packed. Yep. Indoor I, mall. It's one of my most anxiety invoking things to be at a mall. I'm with you. It is. I mean. I do not like I, malls. I, just, I agree. I'll I agree. do anything. Yeah. I didn't buy one thing. I just, I was like, I, too many <laughs> But options. yes, it's because Gen Zers want it immediately. Yeah. And they want to go to the mall and get it. Small bookstores, independent bookstores, like all this stuff. Barnes and Noble's coming back. Like they're all coming back yeah. in yeah. droves. So, What's one cuisine that you have trouble cooking? Or you just don't enjoy cooking? I don't cook Mexican food. Mm. And I know that's awful, but I don't. And it's very popular mm -hmm. food in this country. Yeah. It's rank it's it's actually neck and neck with Italian right now. Yeah. Believe it or not. Like American Mexican or like Mexico Mexican? A mix a mix. A mix. I think yeah. because it's usually pretty inexpensive. Yeah. 
So and everything's people repurposed are, in a different package. Correct. And so... Burrito, enchilada, taco, they're all the same. <laughs> yeah. It's just one's wrapped, one's unwrapped. So it's, One it's, is a bad gift wrap. Like, it's really popular. Yeah. Um, but it's something I don't cook. Interesting. And I don't really eat either. Mm-hmm. It's just not... I don't know. It's never been my thing. Favorite restaurant in LA besides Nobu? I thought you were going to say Nobu. That's why I was just assuming. I mean, Nobu's... Nobu <laughs> Malibu is phenomenal, especially on the beach. But I would say my favorite rest. I mean, right now, funky. Really? He's Seven got funky. some good restaurants. Yeah. His food is really spectacular. Yeah, he's good. I mean, I know not everybody agrees. I've heard many different, you know, reviews of it. I, I've never had a bad experience. I think restaurants. it's phenomenal. Yeah. And I think he does a really remarkable job. And he does a remarkable job representing the Italian culture and the Italian people. He really does. And the ingredients he uses are really top-notch. So. Well, Giada, this has been an absolute pleasure uh, to just like chat with you, learn about all this, uh, you know, these like experiences you've had and everything you've learned along the way. And uh, we just, you know, can't thank you enough for being here and sharing with us. Well, thanks for having me, guys. 